It used to be common practice when a college athlete would join his college sports team that unlike in the pros, his jersey would not have his name on the back of it. And the reason for that was because the point that the coach wanted to make was that when you joined that college sports team, you lost your sense of identity and you gained a new identity as part of that team. You were no longer just a name on the back of your jersey. You were now the name on the front of your jersey. You were now a number, part of a collective team working towards a goal. Coaches would do that to instill in their players this sense of community, and not just community, but their own sense of identity and how they related to being a part of that community. In the same way, many of you are part of the military, and you know that when you join the military, one of their goals is to strip down any sense of individual identity and to remold you to understand yourself as having your identity as part of the team, part of the group, the, the engine of soldiers and institutions that are all working towards a goal. The question is, is do you have the same attitude of your identity when it comes to church? Do you see yourself as having a new identity or a different identity as a result of being a part of the local church? In fact, how do you think of the other people in this room right now? How do you even see yourself in relationship to them? Do you just see them as acquaintances or strangers, like people sitting in the same movie theater and you all just happen to be attending the same function? Or do you maybe even see them as people that you like to kind of criticize behind their back? Every time after church, you go home for lunch and you just spend your meal just talking about this person did this, or can you believe that person, or roll my eyes at this person. It's sad how often church communities can have people who come to church and they see themselves primarily as individuals, they see churches primarily for themselves, and they see the other people with them in church as either acquaintances or worse. The reason why I bring this up is because in Paul's letter to Philemon, he is going to spend 25 verses talking about identity. I want you to turn with me to Philemon, this is one of the shortest letters in the New Testament. It's the shortest of Paul's letters. It's also why it happens to be the last letter listed in the New Testament. It comes right after Titus. It's right before Hebrews. It's not because it was the last chronological letter for Paul to write. It's just because it happens to be the shortest, so they put at the end, the longest letter of Paul is Romans, the first letter listed. But in this very interesting letter that Paul sent with Onesimus, a slave returning to his master in Colossae, along with the letter to the Colossians themselves, this companion letter that Paul is going to send along with Colossians is going to be a letter about identity. Many people are going to falsely assume that Philemon is just a practical letter, that it's just like us sending an email or sending a card to someone, and it almost accidentally found its way into Scripture. Nothing could be further from the case. 
Philemon is going to be a letter dealing with practical matters. However, these are, these are going to be practical matters that are dealt with. <coughs> Excuse me. They're going to be dealt with by the inspired words of God working through Paul for the benefit and for the sake of the church at Colossae. So as you turn to Philemon, we are going to spend the next five weeks looking at this letter. And the theme of this letter that we're going to find again and again, it's going to be more than just the issues of slavery. It's going to be more than uh, just the practical issues of a slave returning to his master. It's going to be about what is your identity when you become a Christian? When you become a follower of Jesus Christ and you become part of the capital C church, what does that mean for how you should see other Christians and how other Christians should see you? That's ultimately what the letter of Philemon is about. And we're going to see that beautifully illustrated in the first three verses, maybe in a way that we wouldn't expect. Because as we read these first three verses, and as we discuss them this morning, you're going to find that these verses are very similar to other verses that we see in other letters of the New Testament. In fact, these are going to be verses that you are usually tempted to just skim over. But Paul is going to do something very interesting in these three verses, this opening of his letter, that is going to set the stage for the theme of Philemon, which is that Paul is trying to get across the point that our identity is different when we, are a, when we become a follower of Christ and when we become part of a local church. And it should change the way we think about ourselves and each other. In fact, that's going to be your big idea this morning. We'll put the big idea up first today. Your big idea is that your identity is changed in the community of Christ. When you think community of Christ, think the local church. That's what this is. Look around. This is not just a function of people who enjoy the Bible. This isn't just a gathering of people who all enjoy the same style of worship. This is something deeper than that. This is the community of Christ. This is the body of Christ manifesting itself in individuals collectively coming together. And just like an athlete who joins a sports team, just like a soldier who joins the military, a believer who joins Christianity must also recognize that when he becomes part of the local church, his identity is different. So your big idea is your identity is changed in the community of Christ. Am I allowed to share that I have a little bit of a cold? Thanks for uh, bearing with me. If I'm not shaking your hand, it's not because I don't like you. It might be, but no, it's, uh, no, it's not because I don't like you. Uh, it's because I have a cold, and uh, you know, even though in the community of Christ we should be sharing and loving with each other, uh, there's a line to that, and uh, sickness is uh, certainly one of those lines. But read, with, uh, read silently with me as I read these first three verses out loud of Philemon, uh, verses 1 through 3. No chapters, by the way. Isn't that a little jarring? It's always tempting to say chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. There's no chapters in Philemon. There's only 25 verses. And by the way, that little text that you see up there on the screen, that's the entire letter. That's how short it is. So read silently with me as I read Paul's opening to Philemon. Verse 1, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, 
our beloved fellow worker, and Apphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You may hear these verses and think this is similar to what we see in every other letter of Paul, and you're partly right. This is the typical formula of how most people in ancient Roman times would open a letter. There's three parts that we usually see in all uh, New Testament letter openings. There's always the, the people that are sending it. Hi, I'm Paul. I'm the one sending it. The people that they are sending it to, to the Colossians, to the Romans, to Philemon, and then a greeting. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So the opening always consists of who it's from, who it's going to, and just a a general hello. But Paul does something interesting in these three verses as it relates to the theme of Philemon. You'll notice that unlike his other letters, when he opens in a similar way, every single person who is mentioned in this opening is given a label. No single person mentioned in these first three verses is allowed to just be called whatever they were born as. Paul gives them some kind of new identity. He gives them some kind of label. He describes them in some kind of way that is distinctly different from how they would have been understood had they not have been Christians part of the community of Christ the local church. Just look at that. When Paul says Paul, he doesn't just say Paul. He says Paul, a prisoner. When he says Timothy, he doesn't just say Timothy. He says Timothy, our brother. When he says Apphia, it's not just Apphia. It's Apphia, our sister. And it's not just Archippus, but it's our fellow soldier. In every instance where Paul mentions someone in this opening, he makes the point to describe them in a new way. That's going to be important because Paul is going to be writing to a slave master, encouraging the slave master to see his slave in a new way as a result of that slave being part of the community of Christ. Therefore, if Paul wants even a slave master to see his slave in a new light, if he wants even the recipients of this letter to see Timothy and Apphia and Archippus in a new light because they are Christians then that means that God wants us here at Graham Emanuel Baptist Church to see each other differently beyond just who they are physically to understanding who they are spiritually in Christ. And Paul's going to model this in several key ways. Our big idea is that your identity is changed in the community of Christ. We're going to go through these three verses and look at three specific subpoints pointing towards that. The first point is this that Paul models which is that you, could, you should consider your role within the community of Christ with humility. When you think of who you are as part of the body of Jesus, as part of the local church, that should be an identity that is one of humility. Paul models this in verse 1 because he does something that he doesn't do in any of his letters. He describes himself as a prisoner. In most of Paul's letters, he describes himself as an apostle. When he opens his letter, he'll say, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. We see this in 2 Corinthians, in Galatians, in 1 Timothy, just as examples. 
That's the most common label that he gives for himself. You can look those up on your own later. In three instances, he does call himself a slave of Christ. We see that in Romans. We see that in Philippians. We see that in Titus. He'll open up his letter by saying, I am a slave of Christ. Talk about humbling. That Paul, with his identity as a believer, will call himself a slave. But here specifically, when writing to Philemon, he chooses to call himself a prisoner. It would be tempting to think that he calls himself a prisoner because he happens to be writing this letter from prison. That would be the obvious assumption that we could make. And that would technically be true. This is a prison epistle that Paul wrote. But he describes himself as more, just, as more than just a prisoner. He calls himself a prisoner for Christ Jesus. He's not just describing himself as a guy who happens to be in jail. He's, he's specifically calling himself one who is imprisoned to the very will of Jesus himself. That's how he understands his identity. As one who, even though he is wearing physical chains on his arms and legs, he sees himself as spiritually being chained to the will of his master, Jesus Christ. Do you have the same understanding of your identity? As one who is a prisoner of Christ, one who is bound not only to the will of the Lord, but you are also bound in your relationship to Christ. You cannot lose your salvation. You are imprisoned. You are shackled to his grace and to his salvation. That is a humbling thing. And imagine what local churches would look like if all of the individuals in the community of that local church came to church with the mindset that they are prisoners of the Lord. Not that the church is prisoners to themselves. Oh, you have to do what I want to do. Oh, you have to fit my needs. Oh, you have to satisfy my desires. You are in prison to me because I tithe and I come up. I come and I show up and I serve. Therefore, you're in prison to me is how Christians often see their identity and role in the local church. But if we see our identity as ones who are in prison to Christ, then we come together, not lowly and, and discouraged, but joyful that we serve a master and that we are bound to our Savior. That changes the way a church looks and functions when people have that attitude. Paul continues this even uh, when he mentions Timothy. He says, Timothy, our brother. Timothy was not Paul's brother, obviously. In fact, most often, Paul liked to refer to Timothy as his son. Timothy was much younger than Paul. Timothy was someone who was indebted uh, to Paul. We see this in Philippians chapter 2, verse 22. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. Paul would refer to Timothy's youth, describing him as a child. Philippians 2.22 and 1 Corinthians 4.17. We famously remember Timothy because he was the guy that we see that verse from where Paul says, don't let people despise you because of your youth. Timothy was known as a young man, but even this young man who is working with Paul, Paul chooses to regard this young man who is not as spiritually mature as him and who is not physically as mature as him. He calls him our brother. He gives him a word of equality. He describes him not as someone who is lowly as a son, but one who is equal in the work as a brother. 
Paul, in verse 1, he understands that when you join the community of Christ, when you are in Christ and part of the local church, that you have a new identity, and it is one that you should understand as one of humility. Being in Christ should make you more humble, not more proud. Let's now move to our second point. Our second point is going to be this that we should also consider others within the community of the church with affection. Not just humility, but also we should look at each other with affection. True affection, true love. Not just politeness. Not just feigned kindness. But genuine, sincere affection and love that translates into action for each other. We see this because Paul, in the second part of this opening, addresses Philemon, our beloved fellow worker. That word beloved comes from that root word agape that he uses to describe Philemon as a fellow worker. Apphia, he describes as our sister. It's a term of endearment. In Archippus, our fellow soldier in the church in your house. One thing that needs to be noted about this second verse, one of the biggest mistakes that people make with Philemon is they assume that Philemon is a letter addressed to one person, that it was just an individual letter. That is not true. Look at who Paul is addressing this letter to. It's not just to Philemon. It's not just to Apphia or Archippus, who we think might be his children, but we don't know that for sure. The, the very common belief is that these are somehow family members who are a part of his household, but we don't know that certainly. But he doesn't just address those three people. He literally addresses the church that meets in Philemon's house. The letter of Philemon is not a letter to Philemon. It's a letter to the church that meets in Philemon's house. Paul wanted this letter to be read and to be studied and to be applied by the local church in Colossae, which, by the way, that local church in Colossae that was reading Colossians, that may have been at Philemon's house. Colossae was probably a city of somewhere between 15,000 and 20,000 people. As a result, thinking in ancient times and the limitations of technology, the size of the church in Colossae was probably not massive. It was likely not hundreds of people. It was very probably a group of people that would be able to comfortably fit into what would be considered a courtyard of a large house in the community of a wealthy person, of which Philemon seems to be. A second thing that you should know about this as we set the stage for affection is that, remember, Philemon and these people, they are Colossians. Paul doesn't know them. Paul, as far as we can tell, does not know Philemon. He doesn't have a relationship with him. He doesn't know him personally. He is writing a letter to a person that maybe he has heard of and is acquainted with, but has never met or had a deeper relationship with in person. That's also going to be important because sometimes it's been common belief that people assume that Paul and Philemon were friends I'm going to diverge a little bit from that. I don't think there's any evidence to suggest that. And I think that the reason why people have felt that way is because they have looked at Philemon not in conjunction with Colossians. And if we remember that Paul did not know the Colossians very well, then that would give us every reason to think that he doesn't know Philemon very well. 
Yet even though he doesn't know Philemon very well, he calls him beloved. And he calls him a fellow worker. This is a label that Paul would use often to describe different people. Uh, For example, uh, Prissa and Aquila, uh, Urbanus, Timothy, Apollos, uh, these were all people who would be given the label of beloved. We see Paul all throughout the New Testament mention these people as ones who are beloved. Not only that, but we see other names of people who are called fellow workers. Uh, Ampliatus in Romans 16, verse 8. Uh, Stachys in Romans chapter 16, verse 9. Persis in 16, verse 12. You're probably noticing that Romans chapter 16 is a chapter that is full of names. It's a very interesting chapter to read, to read about other people who are uh, part of the church. This is a list of names of people who are called fellow soldiers, or um, um, fellow workers. But only Philemon, along with just a couple other people, Luke would be one, Epaphras would be another. Philemon is one of the only people who is both called beloved by Paul and a fellow worker. He is given both of those special labels, even though Paul likely has never met Philemon. But Philemon is a follower of Jesus Christ. Therefore, Paul treats him and understands him in his role with affection. Paul likely doesn't know Apphia, but Apphia is a follower of Jesus Christ. Therefore, even though Paul doesn't know her, he calls her sister. He gives her a label of a family member. That's not to be taken lightly. Archippus, Paul wouldn't have known Archippus uh, likely, You might remember from Colossians, his end of his letter to Colossians, he actually mentions Archippus. He tells Archippus to fulfill his ministry, whatever that is. We don't know exactly what that means. It's probably something to do with the role that he has in the house church that meets at Philemon's house. But he treats all of these people with affection, even though he doesn't have any physical, typical reason to. Even though there's no physical reason to understand these people as friends and beloved and as family, they are in Christ together. Therefore, Paul is seeing them in relation to their identity in Christ. Because you are in Christ, the way you see yourself and the way you see others should change because it's different. And let me just say this briefly before we move on to the third point, that As much as we want to talk about a new identity in Christ, as much as we want to talk about treating other people in the church in light of who they are in Christ, we also have to make sure we understand what it means to be in Christ. If you walk through the doors this morning, that doesn't automatically mean that you're in Christ. If you're a conservative politically, that doesn't automatically mean that you are in Christ. If you're someone who even maybe just enjoys the Bible and reading it and enjoys listening to Christian radio, that doesn't mean that you are in Christ. The only way to be in Christ is to receive by faith the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the good news that all of us came into this world not in Christ, but in our own sin. And we were enemies of God as a result. As a result, the gospel means that we need to respond to what God has done for us, sending his son Jesus Christ, God in human flesh, to fulfill God's righteous demands on our behalf, to die a sinner's death on our behalf, to rise on the third day 
so that we could receive forgiveness in a restored relationship with our Creator by repenting of our sin and putting our trust in Christ, in his death and resurrection as the means of our forgiveness before God. If you've never done that, you are not in Christ. But if you have done that, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says that you are a new creation. The old has passed, the new has come. And that's not just true for you, but that's true of every other believer in the room who has also done that. That's why we take communion even, to recognize the thing that we share as the family of God, that we are in Christ because we've responded by faith to his death and his resurrection. And communion is a way to remember and to symbolize that death and resurrection that allowed us to be in Christ. Therefore, we should treat each other the way that Jesus treated us, with love, with patience, with kindness, with humility. People notice when churches act like Christ. They don't notice or they don't turn their head when a church claims to be a church of Christ and doesn't act like Christ because they see how congregant members treat each other. Outsiders observe that. Let's now look at the third and final point, which is really just an outflow of what I just said, is that we should consider others within the community of the church in light of their relationship to God that all of this is because of Christ. All of this is because of God our Father, which is why Paul ends this opening with grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is his uh, famous ending of his opening. It's his famous greeting that he loves to give. He does this because he's actually combining the Greek greeting with the Jewish greeting. The Jewish greeting was shalom, which means peace to you, And it was typical in Roman culture to use the Greek word that meant grace or greeting to you, grace to you. So Paul is combining those two things, but he's putting it in perspective. The only reason why we can say grace to you to anyone is because God the Father has given grace to us through his son, Jesus Christ. The only reason why we can wish any other person peace is because we have peace as a result of Jesus Christ being our mediator and being our peace offering on the cross. We see that in Romans chapter 3, verse 24. We see that in Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Paul wants Philemon in the church in his house to recognize their identity as different because of Christ. He wants them to understand the people in their local church as their identities being different because of Christ. Graham Emanuel Baptist Church, are you willing to see your identity as part of this church as one who is in Christ? Are you willing to love and to serve and to lift up and to encourage your brothers and sisters? That's not just a Baptist thing. Your brothers and sisters, that's how we should see each other with affection. Are you willing to see them in light not of their old identity, of someone who is in their flesh and sinful just like you, but as one who is in their new identity, one who has been bought and paid for and loved and enslaved and imprisoned to the grace and love of God. That's going to be what Philemon is about, and that has to be what Graham Emanuel Baptist Church is about. Let's pray before we take communion.